Well, today's Mother's Day, obviously. It's good to think about mums, isn't it? It really is. It's a, it's a good thing to think about mums and the, the special place that they have in our lives. Well, this morning I want to, I want to tell you a story. It's an ancient story about a, a mother-daughter relationship. Well, actually, it's a mother-daughter-in-law relationship. And I want to tell you about a certain young lady who lived in a, a pretty corrupt and degenerate culture that was hell-bent on doing the wrong thing, and yet she seemed to do the right thing, and God blessed her for it. This young lady is one of, the, uh, one of only two women in all of human history who were given the honour of having a book of the Bible named after them. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? There's only two women in all of history who, who had a book of the Bible named after them. Somehow this, this young lady impressed God by the way she lived her life. And somehow she seems to have impressed God by the way she lived and I think because of that we can learn something from her life. Who am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about Ruth, obviously, talking about Ruth. Today, as we think about mums, I want to look at the story of Naomi, Ruth and Boaz because I believe that there is much the Lord wants to say to us through their story. So let's open the word of God together. The opening words to the book of Ruth are, in the days when the judges ruled. In the days when the judges ruled. What's that all about? Well, you remember the story of how Moses brought the people out of Egypt. Eventually, after some 40 years of, of wandering in the wilderness, God brought his people into the, the promised land. And he told them to drive out all the people who were living in the land and they were to take possession of the land. The trouble is that they didn't really do as they were told. They were... They were disobedient to their God and they let many of the people stay in the land. And they thought to themselves, it's not so bad. I mean, they can be our labourers and servants. So the Israelites let many of them live with them. It says in Judges chapter 2, it says, Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. That's the, the local people's deity, the, the local idols, right? It says they forsook the Lord the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served Baals and the Ashtoreths. So that's the background info. The story of Ruth, Ruth begins in the days when the judges ruled. For the original hearers, they would have immediately understood what that meant in the days when the judges ruled. The nation, if you could call it that at this stage, was a, a mess. I mean, basically every man did whatever he liked. So we need to, to realise that the writer of the book of Ruth is placing us here. He's saying, this is when this happened. It happened at a time in Israel's history when everyone just did as they pleased. There really wasn't a lot of structure to the way our nation operated. So that's the, the start of the story. There was a famine in the land. Work and food were in short supply, but there was food and work not far away in the land of Moab. So everything is happening in Israel, which is up on a mountain range. And basically, as you look east, you look down into the Jordan Valley, and out on the other side of that is Moab. It's the desert region. So it's not that far kind of down the mountain range and just across the river. But that's where there was, there was more food and work. 
So the, the story begins with a family, mum and dad and two boys. The mum's name was Naomi and the father's Elimelech. Now, Elimelech decided to take his family down from the town of Bethlehem. Someone else was born in Bethlehem. I can't kind of remember who that was. But anyway, that's where they were. They're in Bethlehem. Okay? It was up in the mountains and they went down across the Jordan Valley into the land of Moab. Not long after arriving in Moab, it appears that Elimelech came to grief and dies. Now, we don't know all the details. We just know that it just says that he died. And that left Naomi with her two sons, Marlon and Killian. So remember, she's, she's a stranger in a foreign land, in a way. So she's down there. She's an, an Israelite who's down in Moab. She's got two little boys and her husband's died. And so the two little boys, she, she looks after them and they grow up and a widow's life would have been very hard. It really would have. But at least Naomi had her two sons to look after her. And these, soon, these boys grew up and they married a couple of the local girls, Ruth and Orpah. But things were going to go from bad to worse because within the next 10 years, both of her boys, both of her sons had also died. I mean, this, things really couldn't have been worse for these three ladies. Three widows just trying to survive. I want you to get the situation. She's an Israelite living in Moab. Her boys have married Moabite women, but all three men have died. Life would have been tough. It would have been really bad. It must have been pretty bad because eventually Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, have a look. This is Ruth chapter 1, verse 8. Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons? Who could become your husbands? <laughs> I mean, return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I... Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And when Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem, to her hometown. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? So it's a little bit like one of our young ladies getting married, heading off, and then coming back 
maybe 15 years later, something like that, maybe 20 years later, and lots of people remember her. Oh, it's Naomi. She's back. People were amazed to see her after all these years. And who is this young woman with her? Her dead son's wife, Ruth, a girl from Moab, a girl who chose to stay with her mother-in-law rather than returning to her own people with the prospect of a new husband and the, the comforts of living in her own country. You see, Ruth, Ruth chose the more difficult road. Orpah initially offered to stay with Naomi, but then when urged to return to her parents' home, she agreed and left. But not Ruth. Ruth made the decision, the more difficult decision. She chose to stay and to support her mother-in-law. She chose to become a stranger in a foreign land where she most likely would be rejected and mistreated for the rest of her life. We need to realise this. She chose a very difficult path. She chose to make Naomi's God her God. She chose the Lord over her own people's idols, even though it was going to be more difficult and more dangerous for her. Now, the two women arrived home just as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, just like most people who live pretty much anywhere on earth up until a couple of hundred years ago, they would have known when they heard that story, harvest time. Oh, okay, I get it. Harvest time. That's a really difficult time to arrive anywhere because everyone's focus is on getting the harvest in. It is all hands on deck. I mean, during harvest time, people literally worked day and night until they dropped. They had to. And it was not uncommon for people to get maybe four, six hours sleep during a night during this period because there's just so much physical labour which had to be done. Naomi and Ruth arrive home in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, it is important that we understand what was happening here. Christians of other centuries would have understood far more readily the situation Naomi and Ruth wandered into when they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the harvest. It was a dangerous time. It was a very dangerous time for young women, for any women, without a home or possessions, Itinerant labours were scattered throughout the fields. Okay, There are itinerant labours everywhere scattered throughout the fields working late into the night. A young woman from another country without a man to defend her was in very real danger of being raped or at best robbed. Yet Ruth knew that they needed food to survive. She needed to go and gather barley. Now, there was a practice known as gleaning, and it's mentioned throughout the Bible. Ruth went out gleaning. It was a kind of a, a social security package that was built into the law for the poor. So gleaning meant, and it's very specific in the law, that it says, don't take every last bit of the crop. Have your workers kind of work through the field and leave some of it behind. And if you have some poor person coming behind and they're picking up the grains of barley literally out of the dirt let them have it it was a social security kind of system that's what Ruth is doing she goes out very dangerous time to glean to try to get some food for her mother-in-law and herself you know I've seen uh, homeless people in the city gleaning 
You've seen that where they'll go, go through bins and they're, they're just looking for any kind of leftovers. You know, someone will toss out an apple and they'll go, oh, I've seen people around here going along the street looking for a cigarette butt that might have been stomped out but there's still a bit of tobacco in it and they pick up the cigarette butts and light them to... I mean, if you're just hankering for a cigarette and it's got that kind of hold on you, people still glean today, sadly. Now, living in Bethlehem at the time was a man of a standing, a man of great wealth, a landowner by the name of Boaz. Now, Boaz owned the field that was being harvested in the story, the field where Ruth happened to be working. Verse 4 says, Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz seems like a nice guy, doesn't he? He really does. I mean, so often someone's very first words make the most lasting impression on us, don't they? These first words from Boaz, Boaz, a wealthy and influential landowner from Bethlehem, tell us that he loved God. He loved God and he wanted God's blessing not just on himself, but on all of those around about him, including those who worked in his fields. And did you hear the response from his workers? The Lord bless you, they called back. The workers knew something about this remarkable man. They knew he loved God and they knew, I think, how he treated people. Verse 5 says, Boaz asked the foreman of the harvesters, whose young woman is that? Foreman replied, she's the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. So everything's been cut down and she's just fossicking around, looking for grain. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here stay here with my servant girls watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls and I want you to notice this I have told the men not to touch you you see Boaz Boaz knew these were dangerous times for a young girl particularly for a young widow from another country and he used his power and his influence to protect her. He then said, and whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. And at this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. If you read on, you discover that Boaz then invites Ruth to continue to gather food in his fields. He invites her to eat with his servants and even instructs his workers to ensure that there's plenty of grain left over for her. Now, it didn't take long for the news to get around about what Ruth had done for her mother-in-law. I mean, she acted in a very unusual way. 
She'd put another's needs ahead of her own needs. She'd come to live in a, in a foreign land and was working hard to get what she needed to support both herself and Naomi. I said earlier that I believe that God wanted to tell us something about the kind of people who impress God. What are the values that are important to God and why did God put this little book in the Bible? Because it is, it's a very little book and it's an ancient story. It's about 3,000 years old, this story. Why did God allow this ancient story to stand the test of time? What does God want to say to us about Ruth and Naomi and Boaz? Well, The first thing is that God seems to be impressed with those who put the needs of others ahead of their own. God is impressed with that. More than a thousand years after these events, the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians living in Philippi. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. I think that's what impressed God about Ruth. And clearly it impressed Boaz as well. I mean, back in Moab would have been really so easy to just walk away from your mother-in-law. Ruth said, no matter what happens, I will not leave you. I will stick with you through thick and thin. Whatever happens, we will be there together, you and me, until death parts us. That's what she promised. Ruth was faithful. Ruth was faithful. Faithfulness is one of the qualities of God. To be faithful is to be like God. And you know, that's why faithfulness for me is just such an important quality because it's important to God. When, when somebody comes to me, which happens from time to time, somebody come and say, hey, I'd, I'd really like to be involved in the worship team, you know, leading worship or playing in the band, or I want to get involved in some, some ministry in the church, or hey, I'd, I'd like to do some preaching, or whatever, whatever it is. One of the first things that I always ask myself is, how faithful has this person been to this point in their walk with the Lord? It is very important. You see, it's a, a strong biblical principle that as we are faithful, in small things, God gives us more and more responsibility. So faithfulness really, really matters. I mean, I always ask this question, are they faithful to their friends? Are they loyal to their, to their friends, to their family? Are they faithful to the Lord when they're at school or at work? Are they faithful when they're at home with their family? Faithfulness is just such an important thing especially when it comes to small things because it says so much about our character. It really does. It says so much about our character. I'm going to speak a little bit more about character in a moment. The point is that faithfulness is very important to God. Ruth was faithful to Naomi even when it was costly for her to be faithful and it impressed God. You know what? Boaz was also faithful. He was Obviously, God had blessed him with great wealth and power. And Boaz seemed to know what that meant. 
He knew that he had power because of his wealth. And he knew that that wasn't some flippant thing that you just didn't even think about. He knew that he was the only one who could say some of the things that needed to be said. He was the only one who could say to those young men, you see that girl over there? You don't touch her. Okay? You don't touch her or you deal with me. He didn't have to say that, but he did because he knew he had power. It was like he knew he had this thing and he had to do something with it because no one else was going to do it. He had to do it. He was being faithful in using his power, his influence, to protect and care for the young Ruth. So I want to ask you this morning, in what ways has God blessed you? In what ways may God be looking for you to be faithful? In what ways are you powerful? You know, as we talked earlier about the influence that we can have in our region as wealthy, wealthy people. We are very wealthy, our nation. We cannot stand back and just let our government do whatever they like with our money. We have power. You might say, I don't have very much power. Okay, well, at least use the power you have to do something about changing the situation so that at least 10 cents in every $100 can go to maternal health care. Amongst the nations which surround us who do not have the same power that we have. I mean, I thought about all these different ways that we can look at this. I mean, for someone at school, you know, if, if you're at school and maybe you're a popular person at school, there's a lot of power that comes with being popular at school. Are you going to use that power to do the wrong thing or are you going to use it to actually protect those who maybe don't have the same kind of power that you have? It may, it may mean that you will stand up for someone who's not being treated well or someone who's in some kind of danger, just like Ruth was. Maybe God has blessed you with skills and abilities in the workplace which if you're just honest with yourself, give you an edge over other people. For some reason, you just kind of get stuff a bit quicker than some other people. That gives you power. Now, is that going to lead to you kicking ahead where you see it? As the American poet Frost said, I think in one of his poems, kick ahead wherever you see it. A lot of people act like that. They get a little bit of power in the workplace and they use it to just put everyone down. Or are you going to use that to actually serve others and to lift others up? I think that would be more impressive to God. Maybe God has blessed you with financial resources. That gives you a certain degree of power and influence in our culture. The question for you is how faithful are you being with your wealth, with your God-given power and influence? How faithful are you being in using all of your gifts for others. Okay, back to our story. Ruth continued to go out every day and gather whatever she could from the fields where the harvesters had cleared. And at the end of the harvest, only a few weeks later, Naomi came to Ruth and said, this is what I want you to do. She said, tonight Boaz will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. 
Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. And once again, people who've grown up in a, an agricultural kind of culture, society, will know exactly what this is talking about. Jim's smiling. <laughs> Jim grew up. You know what this is about, don't you? But many of us don't. You see, once the harvest has come in, you've got all these sheaths of wheat or barley that have got seeds on them. And so that what they've got to do is beat them like this to get the seeds off. But then you've got to break it to get the husk off, the chaff off. And the best place to do that when you don't have machinery, which they didn't have, was on top of a hill. So they would get it and they'd throw it up into the air and the wind would blow the chaff away, right? And it would fall down to the ground. So you can imagine, it's jolly hard work, I'd imagine. Throwing this stuff all day. You're covered in, you know, dust and everything. And they would work and work and work, basically probably until the wind died off. You know, the breeze comes up in the afternoon and then sun sets and then it all kind of starts to calm down. So they would do that until the wind stopped. And then they'd eat. You know, they're knackered at the end of the day, so they'd eat and drink. And Naomi very carefully, very shrewdly says, have a wash, love. Have a wash, put some perfume on, put on your best clothes, go down there where all the workmen are, wait till everyone's had something to eat and they're rested and he's had something to drink and he goes and lies down. And then, you know, you'll work out what to do. She goes down and she finds out where he's asleep. Right? Boaz would be there for the night because that's just what they did. They would be there and they're going to get up in the morning and start working. It was a risky thing for the young girl to do, but it seems that Naomi took a chance on Boaz and on Ruth's good character. See, by uncovering his feet and lying down at his feet, Ruth was really offering herself to Boaz as his wife. But I want you to notice what Boaz does. I want you to notice the way that his character dictated his actions more so than his desires. Okay, it's the middle of the night, out in the country, young woman, a woman who, I want you to notice this, wasn't a virgin. Okay, remember, Ruth had been married before. She was sexually experienced and she came to him in this way. It's not as though she somehow found herself somewhere where she doesn't know what this is about. She's a woman who's been married who comes to a man in the middle of the night out in the country and basically climbs in under his blanket at the end of his bed, kind of so to speak. He would have been sleeping on the ground, but, you know, he gets in under the covers. Well, she does. She gets in under the covers. And they lived at a time in Israel's history, remember, when everyone just did what they liked. No one would have cared less. No one would have cared less about what happened to this widow from another country. And this is the most powerful guy in the region. He can do whatever he wants. But he doesn't just do whatever he wants because his character dictated his actions rather than his desires. And I want you to notice that Boaz and Ruth did the right thing on all accounts. Verse 7 when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, probably a little bit drunk, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. 
Ruth approached quietly, uncovering his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Now, do we know what kinsman redeemer is all about? Basically, the idea here, because marriage and land and, and all that really mattered, but I guess more importantly, because God knows that a woman without a man at this time in history hasn't got a hope. She's going to end up a prostitute. That's just the reality. So God builds into the law. If a woman loses her husband, the first person whose responsibility it is to marry this woman. Remember, they had multiple wives. So it's not as though if you had a wife, you couldn't marry. The first responsibility is the guy's brother. You get it? The guy's brother should take her into his home and have children with her to continue the brother's line. And with her comes the brother's property, which would then go on to the sons. You get it? But if there's no brother, it's the next closest relative. Might be a cousin or an uncle. So it's very important that we understand the kinsman-redeemer idea. Verse 10, The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you're a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, so he's saying, yes, I'm more than happy to marry you, do the right thing. There is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. So Boaz's character is such that he says, even though she's come to me, there is one here who's closer. And his character says, no, we need to make sure that he doesn't want to be the kinsman redeemer. So he says, stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good. If he wants to save you, good. Let him save you. Let him redeem. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. See, Boaz was clearly a man of integrity. He wanted Ruth as his wife, but he realised there was another who had a closer relationship to Ruth's former husband and he needed to ask that guy first. You see, this was a really important thing because there was property involved that had originally belonged to Ruth's husband and in obtaining the land, he would have to marry and have children with her as well. But when this was put to him, he refused and Boaz was able to marry Ruth. So Boaz and Ruth did the right thing. The thing I want you to notice is that God blesses those who place their personal integrity, their personal holiness above everything else. People who obey God, even when it seems as though no one else will ever notice, 
Even if they live in an age like we do where few are concerned about the Lord. Remember, Boaz and Ruth lived in an age where everyone did their own thing. God is impressed with people who swim against the current. God is impressed with people whose main priority is doing what he wants and people who protect, people who guard their character. Young people, guard your character. At all costs, guard your character. Middle-aged people, guard your character. Older people, guard your character. Guard your character. Always protect your character. You know, I've said this to you many times before, but I'll say it again. Your character is the sum of your habits. If you say, oh, I don't have any habits, what a load of rubbish. We all have habits. You just think about what you did this morning. I guarantee you it was probably what you did the day before. We all have habits. Put them all together, add all your habits together, and that gives you a good picture of your character. It really does. The sum of all the things that you do day to day, whether good things or bad things, add them all together, and that's pretty much who you are. Your character is most clearly seen when no one else is watching. That is who you really are. When no one else is watching, that's who you are. Let me ask you this morning, how's your character going? How's your character going? When no one else is watching, how's your character? Remember that God is always watching. God is always watching and your character is really, really important to God. Now, good things follow good actions. I want you to notice how God blessed Ruth because she made right choices. Maybe today, can I encourage you to maybe go home and just read for yourself this little book. It is a tiny little book. And when you've done, done that, ask yourself, are you living the kind of life which God would be impressed with? I mean, I'm not talking about whether God loves you. Okay, please hear that. There's nothing you can do that will make God love you more than he does right now. There's nothing you're going to do that's going to make God love you any less. And let me tell you this, God has no expectations for your life. Because he knows the future, he knows exactly where you're at. You don't let God down, okay? Because God knows <laughs> what you're going to do. But there is a sense from the biblical material where God smiles on us. And there are other times where God just goes, oh, that's going to cause you pain. That's going to cause you suffering. Don't go that journey. Don't go that path. So I just want to finish by saying, is the sum of your habits. When you think about your habits, when you think about the stuff that makes up your life, which ultimately makes up your character, Deep down, do you feel like God's looking at you and smiling? Or he's saying, oh man, I love you, but this is not good. Because the path you're on, it's just going to lead to more and more pain and suffering. It's going to lead to more and more distress. It's a challenging thought, isn't it? You're living the kind of life that God would be impressed with. And if you're not... What are you going to do about it? 
Because it's no good at all if you walk away out of here saying, yeah, I think God was speaking to me about that. Because let me tell you, if nothing changes, nothing changes. If nothing changes in your life, nothing changes. Paul says, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Put them to death. You know, you put something to death, it's a bloody awful mess, isn't it? It is. It's, it smells bad and you know, everything about putting something to death is awful. It's a good picture. Put to death the deeds of the flesh so that you live by the Spirit. And I think that's something we need to do every single day. We come to the cross where Jesus put to death, death and sin, once and for all, and we say, yes, Lord, I need to put to death the deeds of the flesh in my own life so that I might live by the Spirit. We need to do that day by day by day as we walk with the Lord. Let's pray together. Living God, I thank you for this wonderful ancient story. It's just such an earthy, everyday kind of story, isn't it? We just thank you for it. Because we can all relate to it. It resonates with us. Lord, today, this Mother's Day 2014, we thank you for mothers. We thank you for their great character as they reflect who you are. Lord, we thank you for this story, but I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each of us about our character. And I thank you for the difference between Life for Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and now is that we live after the cross. We live in a time where your Holy Spirit actually promises to come and live within us and not just make us holy in a kind of legal sense, but to actually change us from the inside out and to make us holy so that we might walk with you and that our character would be shaped so that ultimately... In the end, our character will fully reflect your character. I pray that for each person here now in Jesus' name. Amen.